Welcome. I'm W.F. Strong, your host and storyteller. Welcome to Beyond Texas, stories that change the world. A couple of years ago, there was a photograph published on Twitter of a group of radiation oncologists in the radiation treatment room at MD Anderson, all women, under the hashtag WomenWhoCurie. They were celebrating the legacy of Madame Marie Curie and her pioneering work in radiology that daily inspires their mission. As I looked at the photograph of the nine doctors at MD Anderson, I realized that Madame Curie's legacy was far greater than Nobel Prizes and scientific advancement. She added the benefit of opening previously closed doors in science and medicine to women. Madame Curie was not just perceived as a female interloper in her time, seeking equality in disciplines generally reserved for men, but she was also an immigrant, a double minority at the Sorbonne. She was ignored and pushed aside and denied lab space and vital equipment. She succeeded in science by virtue of an iron will and unrelenting genius. She was never political. She never sought to directly attack the gender bias she encountered. Instead, she constantly fought it by encouraging women to pursue science by virtue of her unmatched example. In 1921, in a brief tour of America, she gave only one extended lecture, and for that she chose Vassar, which was, as I'm sure you know, an all-women's college. Her talk was titled, The Discovery of Radium. She explained that she and her husband originally thought it would take a few months to isolate radium, but it took years, years of difficult mental and indeed tough physical labor. She told them that radium was a hundred thousand times more precious than gold, and that it showed great promise for the treatment of diseases, especially cancer. But she hastened to add, We must not forget that when radium was discovered, no one knew that it would prove useful in hospitals. The work was one of pure science. And this is proof that scientific work must not be considered from the point of view of its direct usefulness. It must be done for itself, for the beauty of science. And then there is always the chance that a scientific discovery may become like radium and a benefit for humanity. She concluded her talk with this wish for the women of Vassar. It is my earnest desire that some of you should carry on this scientific work and keep for your ambition the determination to make a permanent contribution in science. Madame Curie and her husband Pierre were awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1903 for their discovery of radium, but originally she was not nominated with him. In the nominations phase, her husband got word that his name alone was being considered, and he wrote a letter informing the Nobel Committee that her role in the discovery was vital, and it would be unjust and most troubling to him if she were not included. And so, thanks to his intervention, she was. And one gets the impression that if she hadn't been included, he wouldn't have accepted the award for himself. Few people realize that Marie and Pierre even passed up Bill Gates-type wealth by not 
patenting radium, or rather the process for isolating it. She said, radium was not to enrich anyone. Radium is an element. It belongs to the people. That act of philanthropy paved the way for cancer institutes like MD Anderson, Memorial Sloan Kettering Johns Hopkins, Princess Margaret Cancer Center in Canada, Olivia Newton-John Cancer Center in Australia. Madame Curie led the way for science and women in science as well. Sometimes I wonder how much further along the human race would be now had we not denied education for half of us for most of recorded history. Now I'd like to back up and look at Madame Curie's life as a student at the Sorbonne before she was a Curie, when she was just an anonymous foreign student from Poland, simply known as Maria Sklodowska. Most of what we know of her early days is found in Eve Curie's wonderfully thorough biography of her mother. Eve was, by the way, a fine journalist and a concert pianist. Her sister, Irene, like her mother, won a Nobel Prize in chemistry in 1937. I tell you, I would have hated to have been a sibling in that family. Talk about pressure. I think young Maria's feelings about her arrival at the Sorbonne was probably akin to what Oscar Wilde felt when he arrived at Oxford. He said it was the greatest gift his father ever gave him, to study in little gray colleges enshrined in velvet lawns with lectures from some of the greatest intellects in the world. And Maria had a similar intellectual bliss at the Sorbonne. She recalled a professor in her physics class saying, hypothetically, I take the sun and I throw it, as he described the laws of the universe. Eve wrote, An impulse similar to that of love sprang up in the soul of the little girl toward the infinite of knowledge, toward things and their laws. Maria was in heaven at the Sorbonne. I take the sun and I throw it. She was rich in epiphany, but desperately poor as a student. Rarely having enough to eat in her rented attic room, her father, himself a professor back in Poland, sent her what money he could, but he, too, was desperately poor. Maria doted on her father, who had taught her so much. I like that she always closed her many letters to him with these words, I kiss my little father's hands. For more than three long years, Maria lived a life of devoted study alone. It was a perfect life, said Eve, in the sense that a monk or a missionary has a perfect life. Though her room and food, though her room and food both were Spartan, she rated it as an ideal experience because from there, from that room, she could be at the library or the labs in just 20 minutes. Students would say, Maria doesn't even know how to make soup. But she didn't think it was important to learn about the mysteries of soup when she could be learning about the mysteries of physics and chemistry. At one point, she got so thin, so frail from neglecting to eat that her sister had to rescue her for a week and practically force-feed her back to health. Maria finished her first degree at the top of her class and went immediately on to seek a master's degree in chemistry. In the middle of this pursuit, during a summer break in Poland, she realized that she was out of money, and there was no prospect for getting any more. She came to the conclusion that she would just have to give up her dream. She had resigned herself to the idea that she would have to remain in Poland and live a life as a tutor or a governess and perhaps marry and have the only life most young women in Poland could look forward to. 
She was deeply depressed about it. Then came the miracle. Out of nowhere, she received the Alexandrovich scholarship of 600 rubles, about $300. She calculated that it was enough if she lived meagerly with little heat and less food. She could do it. And sometimes she was so cold in her unheated room that she would go to sleep in her clothes and pile all her clothes on top of her and then pull the wooden chair on top of the pile to press it down for greater warmth. Well, the suffering paid off. She graduated first in her class, and that was just the beginning. She would graduate a little over a year later with another degree in mathematics, also first in her class. And then she did something that gets me a little misty-eyed when I think about it. As soon as she took her first job from her first paychecks, she pulled out 600 rubles and went to the Alexandrovich Foundation and paid back the scholarship that they had given her. This had never happened before the foundation was shocked. But as Eve said of her mother, in her uncompromising soul, she would have judged herself dishonest if she had kept for one unnecessary moment the money which now could serve as a life buoy to another young girl. Now that's paying it back and forward. The next grand event in her life was to marry Pierre Curie, an accomplished scientist and professor in his own right. He was older by ten years or so, and she found him interesting, but she had no time for romance. She was focused on great ideas and scientific discovery. He seemed to realize this, so he focused on seducing her interest in him via their mutual love of science. The first letter he ever sent to her in place of what might have been a declaration of admiration or even love was a reprint of his recent paper with this title, On Symmetry in Physical Phenomena, Symmetry of an Electric Field and of a Magnetic Field. He added, with respect and friendship of the author P. Curie. Well, I guess the title of that paper might have been a metaphor for his feelings. We could give him credit for poetic subtlety. Whatever his thoughts and strategies to win her heart, though, it took a long time. But he eventually did win her heart by winning her mind. He often assured her that they could be great friends, if nothing else, and could have their scientific dream of partnered investigations come true. Pierre was even willing to return to Poland with her and marry and live there, and teach French, and in their spare time pursue scientific experiments together. In the end, his loving flexibility convinced her that she could have both marriage and science. They married in 1895 and stayed in Paris and made their scientific dreams come true when they jointly discovered radium six years later. Sadly, only five years after that, Pierre died of a macabre accident on the streets of Paris when he was run over by a horse-drawn carriage. He died instantly. Madame Curie was thoroughly distraught and devastated, but she took solace in science as best she could. She won a second Nobel Prize in chemistry in 1911. She was the first person, male or female, ever to achieve such a distinction. She added that to her many other firsts, first female Ph.D. at the Sorbonne, and first female professor at the Sorbonne, and even in death she achieved another first, the first female to be buried at the Pantheon because of her achievements alone. 
When she died, unfortunately, of radiation poisoning when she was 66 years old, yes, she sacrificed her life unintentionally to her work. On her deathbed, she said what she so often said, I just want to be left alone. She was always seeking solitude to pursue science. The next day, the New York Times published more of a eulogy than an obituary for her, one that ran from the front page into a second interior page. The headline was, Madame Curie is Dead, Martyr to Science. Few persons contributed more to the general welfare of mankind and to the advancement of science than the modest, self-effacing woman whom the world knew as Madame Curie. Her epoch-making discoveries of polonium and radium, the subsequent honors that were bestowed upon her, she was the only person to receive two Nobel Prizes, and the fortunes that could have been hers had she wanted them did not change her mode of life. She remained a worker in the cause of science, preferring her laboratory to a great social place in the sun. The road which she and her husband had chosen, she followed throughout her life, disdaining all pomp and circumstance, and thus she not only conquered great secrets of science, but the hearts of the people the world over. Professor William Phelps of Yale praised her in a statement suited for her epitaph. There is one thing rarer than genius. It is radium. Madame Curie illustrated the combination of both. I'm W.F. Strong. You've been listening to Beyond Texas, a podcast devoted to stories that change the world. You can reach me anytime at wfstrongpodcast at gmail.com. That's wfstrongpodcast, one word, at gmail.com. Next week, Tolstoy. Until then, get out there and tell some stories of your own. No greater force in the world than good stories well told. Mm-hmm.